This episode is sponsored by Code Health. Code connects healthcare providers to the largest community of medical coding professionals in the country with over 4,600 domestic certified coders. As a single stop for all coding needs, Code's on-demand model has solved for daily staffing challenges and coding inefficiencies by allowing providers to access the right coder at the right time while gaining insights to better manage their coding operations. To learn more about Code, visit CodeHealth.com, that's K-O-D-E Health.com, or email Code directly at partnerships at CodeHealth.com. Hello, and welcome to Voices in Healthcare Finance. I'm Erica Grotto. Today, we're talking about the consumer role in disruption with Jim Higgins, the CEO of Solution Reach. Later, in a segment sponsored by Nexera, Senior Vice President Kenny Schur talks about supply chain management. Then we'll have five lessons for organizations starting provider-sponsored health plans. That's all coming up after Rich and Chad go beyond the news. Hello, this is Rich Daly, Senior Writer and Editor for HFMA. Hi, my name's Chad Mulvaney. I'm a Policy Director with HFMA. Rich, how are you? I'm doing great, Chad. Thanks for joining us today on the uh, Beyond the News segment, once again, of our podcast. Uh, This is where we, again, take a quick peek at the significance of recent healthcare finance news developments. This week saw the American Hospital Association and uh, the economist said, Charles River Associates released some updated research on cost, quality, and revenue results from hospital M&A deals, uh, this time from 2009 to 2017. And this study found that acquired hospitals had a 2.3% reduction in operating expenses per admission and that an acquisition uh, is associated with a decrease of 3.5% in net patient revenue per adjusted admission. So, Chad, obviously lots of people in the D.C. area have been weighing in on this study recently. What do you see as uh, significant? Yeah, and, you know, the other thing I would add is that the the data showed that mergers improved key outcome metrics around post-discharge mortality and reduced readmissions rates. So that's certainly something we want to keep in front of our, our members as well. And, you know, the, the study's findings are very consistent with what we found and also what the original Charles Rivers study from 2016 said. And, you know, when we interviewed our members for the work that we did with Deloitte, which was hospital M&A, when done well, can achieve valuable outcomes, we found that organizations where they had acquired hospitals, they merged with hospitals, and that transaction was maybe more successful than, uh, than other similar transactions, there were a couple of key capabilities or things that the leadership teams did through the M&A process that was an indicator of success. So, Chad, what could you tell us um, about any takeaways on how M&A projects can be more successful? It's a great question. And certainly the things that we found were kind of the things that you would expect to find from successful transactions. At the outset, there was a strong strategic vision for pursuing the transaction. The transaction had specific financial and non-financial goals that were set that set for it. And there was executive level accountability for the integration efforts that was tied to those goals. There was a clear and honest conversation about cultural differences. And there was a lot of upfront decision-making around executive management teams on staffing. So who would remain in the leadership post, who would remain remain in that mid-level layer of leadership. And they were also sort of, they sort of ripped off the bandage and got after some of the more fraught issues out of the gate, such as aligning clinical and functional leadership. 
And then it was a lot of best practice work around merging organizations and really sort of being diligent in following through on the project management plan for integrating the organizations and following targets for up to two years after the transaction closed. So, you know, if you kind of bundle all of that together, the organizations that did more of those things were more likely to be successful in achieving what they had thought their estimated efficiencies were out of a transaction. Well, on a, uh, a separate but also important uh, news development, I wanted to check with you um, this week about the outlook for uh, surprise healthcare bill legislation passing Congress um, before uh, the end of this calendar year. There was a lot of legislative movement, of course, before Congress went on its August recess. Must be nice to have one of those. But many uh, in D.C. are now raising questions about whether any surprise bill uh, legislation will pass this year. What should we be looking at with this, Chad? I think prior to the break, prospects for getting some type of legislation around surprise bills was, you know, odds were better that something would pass than not. Now, I think with the break, I think, you know, they have heard from physicians and other stakeholders in their districts, congressmen and senators, And now I think there is some concern that, you know, the current geographic median being pushed is something that is starting to cause more congressmen, more senators concern. But I'm not sure if those that support that approach are willing to compromise around something that also has uh, an arbitration model over the top that would protect hospitals and physicians from sort of being having having a lower than anticipated or necessary rate set by individual plans. And so therefore sort of putting continual downward pressure on payments to, to physicians. So stay tuned. But I think at this point, if I was handicapping this, when I said the odds of something actually getting done by the end of the year for this Congress are, are, are pretty slim. And then, of course, heading into an election year next year, uh, pretty much anything getting done doesn't look so great, I guess. You know, I, I, I think that's right, Rich, although to the extent that someone who would be advocating for this could turn this into an issue, certainly it, it may catch a little steam there. The other thing to keep in mind is that when the president released his executive order on price transparency back in June, One of the key planks of that was that the administration was going to do something on surprise bills. So, you know, and I kind of blew that off under the assumption that Congress would take care of this problem for the administration. However, given how creatively the administration has been willing to interpret various statutes, if Congress doesn't act, I wouldn't be surprised to see HHS find a way to sort of contort an existing law to meet its needs under surprise bill. And certainly the the president and the administration has, at least the last time they weighed in on it, and this has been many months, so the thinking may have changed, they were strongly in favor of a, of a geographic benchmark. So I think that's something to watch too. All right. Well, hey, thanks uh, for all those insights and for joining us today on the podcast, Chad. My pleasure, Rich. And keep up with the latest news developments in healthcare finance policy and practice by checking out our daily news site at hfma.org forward slash news. Unlock practical industry resources by joining HFMA. An HFMA membership includes free access to more than 60 live webinars also available on demand. Plus, gain access to expert regulatory analyses, industry news, live and online learning programs, professional certifications, and more. Explore the value of HFMA membership at hfma.org benefits.
Disruption is a hot word in healthcare right now, with no shortage of opinions on who the next great disruptor will be. According to my guest today, it's not a company or a CEO, but the consumer who is positioned to bring the greatest change to the industry. In this interview, Jim Higgins, founder and CEO of Solution Reach, talks about why healthcare providers need to start responding to consumer needs in order to succeed. There's no doubt that we um, need to think in healthcare instead of using the word patient. We need to use consumer because, and we need to embrace that. We we really, I think, traditionally in healthcare, we think about patients, and so all of a sudden, if you think, if I say patient to you, and then I say consumer. You know, patient kind of fits this mold of how you run through the healthcare, you know, continuum that is clunky, certainly, and we're trying to fix. But if you throw over consumer, you would think, oh, no, a consumer would never accept some of the things that they have to accept in that patient experience and the patient journey. Certainly, when you think about consumerism, or you think about, okay, well, that's, you know, one point of view, but the, the data backs it up. And here's a few data points that I think are really worth sharing. If you look at um, people thinking about online reviews and, and, you know, do I trust that? How does that look? And how does that affect even, you know, hospital systems all the way down to the individual provider? 91% ages 18 to 34 trust online reviews as much as they trust personal recommendations. That has not actually been the fact until just recently. You know, before it was like personal recommendations are number one. Social comes out with Facebook, certainly. And so that that takes over. But not anymore. Um, that mix is really changing things. And if you think about what patients want as consumers, convenience and simplicity really rules the day. 51% of patients uh, listed convenience as the most important factor influencing their healthcare decision. And this was done in a NRC study um, in 2019. So think about this. It beat out insurance coverage <laughs> as, as you know, that, that came in as number two. So people aren't thinking about it in terms of, well, look, I, I'm just going to go to the provider or the hospital system where my insurance covers it, which traditionally consumers or patients have done. Not anymore. Certainly now we're saying, no, the number one thing is, is we want convenience and we want simplicity. Um, and that's the most important thing, uh, even beyond payments and what they have to cover out of their pocket. 80% of the patients say they'll switch providers solely for the increased convenience. And we really looked at that one internally here at Solution Reach. And we said, you know, I don't know. Let's really think about that. Let's test that. And we commissioned our own study uh, just last year. And it was a study that we entitled patient-provider relationships. So we really wanted to understand that. This study had about 2,000 people that talked to patients slash consumers. And it found, we have found that number one reason for choosing a provider was not the care they received, but the ease of working with the practice or the hospital. So again, I know that's a little bit more on the, the data side, but you know, data tells a story. Tell me a little bit about patient relationship management um, in general, and then kind of how it relates to payment. Patient relationship management really kind of combines and focuses on three areas. The first area, and this is all digital, certainly, but the first area is patient communication. Uh, when you think about kind of right message and the medium that you're, the message is delivered, that could be through email, could be through text message, it could through, be through rich media messaging, you know, it could be through voice, a lot of different mediums, right? The second part of it is, is patient interaction. And that's the ability to, to interact within that medium, right? So I receive a text message, 
now I want to have a conversation about that message that I received and it, it needs to happen in somewhat real time. And so you can do that. And then the third thing is the patient experience. And so communication, interaction, and experience. And really kind of the, the point of it all is to provide, again, convenience and simplicity and to remove some of the frustrating obstacles that are inherent in healthcare. How do you benchmark your revenue cycle performance? Many organizations measure success compared to past performance. Others leverage software to benchmark against other facilities that share the same technology. But that only paints part of the picture. What about comparing your performance to your peers? Peers that you define in custom peer groups. MapApp is the online benchmarking tool from HFMA that helps organizations compare their performance against data from more than 600 facilities. Interested in taking the next steps to identify your revenue cycle opportunities? Visit hfma.org forward slash MapApp. Supply chain management can be difficult in any industry, but in healthcare, there are unique challenges. In this sponsored segment, Kenny Schur, Senior Vice President of the Consulting Practice at Nexera, discusses the importance and the challenges of good supply chain management. I've seen surveys lately that indicate supply chain management is a high priority for healthcare organizations. In your experience, is that the case? Is uh, supply chain management something that healthcare organizations pay a lot of attention to? Yeah, absolutely. So the simple answer is absolutely. A lot of our organizations and acute care in general, but also the continuum of care, has, has spent a lot of time over the past decades and years really focusing on the clinical aspects, which they absolutely should. That is the number one top priority. But as our organizations transition into this more outcome-based environments where patient satisfaction scores play a massive role, and as our organizations continue to face the, the changing financial environment of our healthcare, and as our organizations face a more consumer-driven environment, the focus is shifting from just that clinical perspective to all of these ancillary areas that really help our organizations continue to operate efficiently and effectively to actually do that, do that patient care that number one top priority. And supply chain is one of those major focus areas. And if it's not one of those major focus areas, it absolutely should be. It should, supply chain should have a seat at the executive table. And the reasoning behind that is supply chain controls typically at least 40% of an organization spend. And other than labor, supply chain truly controls everything else that comes into the organization whether it's med search products, whether it's physician preference items or high-value implants, whether it's the capital, whether it is the purchase services, supply chain controls all of that, number one, spend and the expenses associated with that, but also all the operational aspects. So all of those industry trends that I mentioned before are leading reasons why supply chain is actually being elevated within organizations. If clinical staff doesn't have the right equipment, then they can't get their patient out the door and get them better. If the clinical staff doesn't have the right product at the right time and from the supply chain perspective at the right cost, 
then that it impacts clinical satisfaction, which then impacts patient satisfaction. And as our healthcare organizations expand outside the doors of the acute care setting, supply chain is becoming more important in that aspect of moving products around the different sites, making sure that we have an efficient and effective way of actually managing our back-end operation. What are some of the barriers to making it a priority in a healthcare organization? You know, supply chain is not the focus of, of our healthcare organizations. Healthcare is the focus of our healthcare organizations. So rightfully so, that's the focus of our organizations. So that's, that's one barrier that we need to really overcome is making sure everybody is aware of the importance of involving supply chain in some of these more strategic decisions. And although I've mentioned, you know, a lot of different kind of big strategic trend, uh, transformational approaches that, that really need to occur or underway, but have, you know, steps to be taken, there's a lot of tactical type of efforts that also can be taken to help begin that transformation and help change that that culture of supply chain being you know a back end function to being a more focused area of of growth and strategy some of those as- aspects can be small cl- um, clinically driven initiatives uh, using value analysis building that clinically integrated supply chain incorporating those clinical aspects and that helps begin the cultural shift. Some other areas where we see a lot of focus are are on those logistical aspects of making sure clinicians are are brought into the decision-making process, but also making sure clinicians are thought of as supply chain works on those logistical aspects, not just making sure a product's in the right location, but making sure a clinician can find it when they actually need it. So there's some small tactical steps that we would recommend organizations take to begin that transformation process and actually make it more palatable for the organization to begin that cultural shift. Nexera is a healthcare consulting firm that provides sustainable solutions for health system transformation. Nexera ties total costs and care quality to financial reimbursements to provide value-driven healthcare business solutions. By tailoring work to their clients' culture and resources, Nexera's service model delivers solutions that are actionable and replicable beyond a consulting engagement to help their clients implement meaningful change. Interest in launching a provider-sponsored health plan has been trending up in recent years, but success is not guaranteed. Those who have been successful in such a venture can offer useful advice to their peer organizations that have struggled. For today's Fast Five, we have five ways health systems can realize benefits from their provider-sponsored health plan strategies. Use data analytics. Knowing where costs are coming from can help the organization better understand those costs and make way for improvements. Be prepared for losses. A health plan requires significant investment in personnel and infrastructure, as well as time to become fully operational. Tailor programs to meet the organization's unique needs. When an organization knows what members account for the largest percentage of its medical costs, programs can be created to address the specific needs of those populations. Partner with the clinical team. One example is collaborating on prescribing interventions to reduce opioid use. 
Invest in the right technology. Healthcare consumers expect convenience, and having tools like a mobile app where they can get information quickly and conveniently can be very helpful. This Fast Five came from Five Lessons on Launching a Provider-Sponsored Health Plan from the September issue of HFM Magazine. You can read it and other articles on healthcare finance at hfma.org. Voices in Healthcare Finance is produced by the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Beyond the News is produced by Rich Daly and Chad Mulvaney. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is our Director of Content Strategy. Our President and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. And you can check out his podcast, Cup of Joe, on your favorite podcast app. Special thanks to our sponsor this week, Nexera Inc. Please look for us on social media. We're on Twitter at HFMAORG, and we're also on Facebook and LinkedIn. And as always, if you have thoughts about our podcast or ideas for future episodes, you can reach out to our team at podcast at HFMA.org. 